0: Universal Designs is being more inclusive, so it's including all the populations, all abilities, and it's not segregating them. So we want to increase that social participation so that everyone can gather together.
1: Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes. Sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. On this episode, Kim talks with architect Jim Bileski, and occupational therapist Tiffany Dill on how to build your forever home through all stages of life. They also discuss the tips and tricks for making your home adaptable and accessible for all abilities through universal design.
2: So many of our clients come to us to build their dream home, a home they want to be their forever home. While putting their signature on the home's design with one-of-a-kind touches is the very first thing you think about, there are some important design choices you can make to truly make your dream home one that will last a lifetime. A couple of years ago, we had the honor of building a home for a family right here in the St. Louis area that was truly something special, something my team will never forget. Through a partnership with Operation Finally Home, we were connected with Heath and Savannah House. We are going to share their experience throughout today's episode, but last season, we had them on the show and I'm going to let them share their story.
3: So it was our last week in uh, Afghanistan. It was June And Then you have 20- been there how long? We got into country in October of 2011. You know, you get through the winter, and, and usually, you know, during the winter, things kind of calm down. And then, you know, things get warmer outside. Things kind of heat up a little bit. So things were going smooth. And the day of the accident, it was just a basic mission in an area that we had been down a million times. Obviously, you, you want to be cautious, it was an area that we had been into before, so we weren't surprised by anything. So the, the whole day the mission went well, and we were heading back home. It was our very last mission because we were fixing to come back home the next week for 4th of July, actually. And my last memory is that we were just talking about, hey, when we get home, we're gonna have barbecues and, and, and get together with our kids and our family and just have a good time. And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm in Germany come to find out, you know, talking to the other soldiers and doctors and everybody that was there, our vehicle was hit by a 300-pound IED. There was a secondary IED that only God knows why didn't go off or it would have taken our side of the truck out. But during the accident, I lost my best friend. He was the driver, Sergeant James Skullberg. There was a passenger across from me, and he also lost his life. And then I was on the right side, so me and my lieutenant, we— suffered a lot of injuries, but we're still here. And so we were very blessed. At the time I was in a wheelchair and there was no handicap accessible to get into the apartment. So it was a lot of just lift me up and a lot of stress and burden was put on her shoulders during that time. And then once we got up to Oklahoma, we had more family around, so that made things a lot easier. And then we just did our best to make the home that we were staying in the best that it could be with with what we had to work with. The moment that we were surprised I mean, that just, that has changed everything. So, so much weight and stress.
4: And knowing that the home's going to be accessible later on, yeah, you know. Yeah, especially, uh, especially later especially, down the line. Especially when, with his injuries, you know, it, wheelchair later on, you know, everything's accessible for him, and that makes things a lot easier.
3: Yeah, because the doctors told me, I mean, I, I walk pretty good now, but they said as, as time goes along things are going to just start to get worse. So it's just a matter of time before I'll be back in a wheelchair once I'm older.
2: Heath's story is so powerful to listen to. And throughout the course of building their forever home, the House family really became a family to our team. We love seeing them away from the office at softball games and baseball games for the kids. It truly is a pleasure having them in the St. Louis area. And they're a perfect example of why universal and adaptive design practices are so important to families who are building a new home. In fact, we have had clients who've come to us to build their dream home for retirement and beyond who specifically requested that we build homes that could be adapted to things like mobility changes as they're aging. Here today to talk to us are architect Jim Bolesky and occupational therapist Tiffany Dill. They're both friends of the show and they specialize in designs and modifications for homes to make them more comfortable and accessible for everyone. Jim and Tiffany, it's great to have you with us. Thank you uh, very much for your time. Tiffany, let's start with you. Tell our listeners a little bit about what exactly is universal design.
0: Universal design is designing for all people, so all users, all abilities to the greatest extent possible without any adaptations or modification. So really trying to make the design universal for everyone across the lifespan. So it's not just, you know, targeting Accessibility accessibility falls under Universal Designs, and so does health and wellness, as well as sustainability and those types of issues that are coming up now. So those all fall under the umbrella of Universal Designs. Basically, it's a term that people have used for those with disabilities. Universal Designs is being more inclusive. So it's including all the populations, all abilities, and it's not segregating them. So we want to bring them all together, increase that social participation so that everyone can gather together.
2: Jim, you're an architect. We've worked with you for many years. And it's interesting because our clients come to us and say, this is going to be our forever home. And many of them are looking forward, you know, many years when they they may need to have a home that's adapted to their needs. What do they tell you? Do you hear about this early on or do you have to ask them about it?
5: Both. I hear about it from them and, and naturally I'll ask them about it as well. It's interesting. We have younger population asking about it and it's sometimes surprising to me because it's hard to predict what life is going to bring in the future. But in most cases, there are many things we can do, like larger doorways and so forth, that can make life easier if, if you happen to be in a temporary situation where you're using a walker. There's different circumstances. The wheelchairs present its own set of limitations, but more often than not, people might very well experience a walker at an adult age, and and just having a little extra room around can help quite a bit with that.
2: I think what's interesting, Jim, is that when we start talking to clients about the design process, the number of people who say this is going to be their forever home— I find that interesting because when we first started building back in the, uh, you know, 2002, 2003, and 2004, it didn't seem to be top of mind like it is now. Are you sensing a change too? Well, we're certainly
5: seeing a whole lot more of it these days.
2: Tiffany, what do you think are some of the key principles when thinking about this and designing a new home?
0: I always think about who is going to be entering that home. And then you also want to think about the resale value of that home. And so when you're designing the home for the client right then and there, you also want to think about their future and who all is accessing that home. So some of the principles we want to think about is the ease of use, the flexibility of the space. And some people are even thinking more sustainability now and that also falls under universal designs. We want to think about the ergonomics, the safety of the homes, and those are a lot of the basic principles that we like to think about when it comes to universal designs and even intuitive. So we think about intuitive, how easy is it to use the technology in the home or how easy is it to access the thermostats for family members, whether they're standing or sitting or And you also want to think about if they have children, the children are growing. So we want to accommodate the space for different sizes and abilities.
2: It sounds like there's a lot of decisions, Mm -hmm. a lot that has to be considered when you're designing the new home. Do you recommend having someone who acts more as a consultant like you do to help you through the process? Mm -hmm. Or at a minimum, do you want to find an architect like Jim and his team who have really good experience with this?
0: I think both. I think it's very important to have a good team of people at the table. As occupational therapists, that's my background, we collaborate with interprofessionals. And so that's what we do, especially in the rehab setting. So when you think about the rehab setting, you have an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, a physical therapist. You have a doctor, a nurse, a social worker. <laughs> we all work together at the same table. when so we team. meet. Yeah, we have our team meetings and we try to work with the client as a whole. So we look at the big picture. And so as occupational therapist, I always recommend having someone like myself at the table with the architect or the designers and even the builders and the contractors so that we can all work together because we all have a different level of expertise to bring to the table. And so what I think about is their future. And if they have, let's just say, they have some sort of a neuro a disease, then we want to think about how their disease is going to progress. And then we can help them think forward. So it's thinking forward and planning ahead when it comes to designing these spaces and having someone like a healthcare professional at the table really helps that situation.
2: Jim, I know your team does a real nice job looking forward and thinking about ways to improve the construction of a new home, especially if you're trying to you know, make it accessible. If the client does not say anything to you specifically about this, the universal design and and maybe wanting to stay in that home long-term, is that something that you will address with them to at least make sure they think about it?
5: Absolutely. One of the early things that comes up in the discussion is what level are we putting the master bedroom on, especially if it's a multi-story home. We see both in new home construction and remodels, obviously people wanting to stay where they're at much longer. And two of the most common practices we encounter would be bringing that master suite down to the first floor and bringing the laundry up from the basement. And that alone can go a long way to satisfy their needs.
2: Tiffany, since the pandemic, have you seen any changes in adaptive design at all? Anything that you've seen that maybe has morphed a little bit or come to the forefront?
0: I think the pandemic has definitely sped up the momentum for universal design. So universal design was definitely gaining popularity and trend over the years, but the COVID has really driven it even more and given it more momentum. The big thing that I'm seeing lately is the curbless showers. That's going to be a big one.
2: Interesting that you bring that up because that truly was one of the design elements we considered very heavily when designing the house master bathroom.
4: I mean, our bathroom, it's so much more accessible for Heath there's a place in there for a shower chair. I mean, before we didn't have that. The bathrooms were just so small that they couldn't accommodate a shower chair. And now he's able to be in that shower comfortably without having tight, tight space. Yeah, and so that's the it.
2: benefit of, of universal design, which is what everyone who's, who's working with a veteran strives for, is to make sure that you can age into that house and, and be able to stay there. Because I know you love the area.
0: I recently worked with a young family, and no one in the family was affected by a disability. But one of the things that I strongly encourage was a curbless shower, just because they were in a ranch home. And I was thinking ahead for them, if someone were to purchase this home, this may not be their forever home. And so it expands the buyer's market. So more people will be attracted to it if you make your home more usable by more people and you start thinking about people buying that home in the future. So it basically increases the resale value of the home as well. But that's probably the biggest trend right now in the bathrooms. It's just the space and the curbless showers. And there are other products too. There's a product that I recently had installed in a commercial project. And because of COVID, it actually kind of motivated me to inspire them to use a motion sensor or a touchless faucet in their patient bathroom. And it's nice because it reduces transmission of germs and it's also um, sustainable. So it saves water and it turns off after like 55 seconds it's easy to access the battery pack. So it's easy to maintain. So you're not cutting through the walls to change the battery in the motion center and also works when the electricity goes out. So that's kind of nice. And I also recommended that for a client in Kansas City who has orthogyposis. and it's a great product. But since the pandemic, that product actually, it was in high demand. So it was very hard to get. So we had to order it right then and there. And then you're also limited on the finishes when it comes to, The post-pandemic or during the pandemic. So as you guys know, it's hard to place orders on some of these products that are in high demand. So even motion sensor doors were in high demand. So that was another thing that we found.
2: And it's interesting because you've kind of taken us off in a little bit of a different direction here, but a very, no, which is good. This is an important direction talking about technology and how technology plays into this adaptive design. And so I would imagine that over the coming years, we're going to see even further advancements with technology and how it helps with universal design.
0: Yes, it helps with universal design, but it's also, it can be energy efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, It really promotes more of a green environment, eco-friendly. So it hits on a lot of different points. And sustainable is actually, it falls under universal design umbrella too, but that's a big up and coming thing too. People are wanting to garden more, they're inside their homes more, they're staying at home longer or, you know, working from home. And so they have access to food, fresh food, and they want more storage. So it all kind of falls off of that um, pandemic
2: We've been talking a little bit about smart homes and the advancement in technology. I would have to believe, though, that some of this advancement has happened because of the need, or needs, I should say, for the universally designed homes and accessibility and being able to function inside these homes.
0: Correct. Yes. So I will give you one prime example that I've been noticing more. So Kohler Connect came out with a shower system that's voice activating, but also Yuba and then Delta. So... The design trend is starting to happen, and I feel like, you know, once somebody designs it, then another company follows behind that, and then you'll start seeing more of that in the market. And also, it's also, I think, comes along with sustainability as well. So it's basically the needs of the population, but also sustainability, and people are going more and more smart homes just because it, it does make it more safe. So for instance, like the induction stove tops, what's safe about it is that it only can be used with magnetic pots and pans. So if you remove it, the heat goes off. And so that way, if you have a child or if you have someone that has a sensory deficit, or they are unable to feel touched to um, temperature, then they won't be at high risk for burns. And people will find out that it's not just for people with disabilities. So it's really for everyone. So they'll find out, you know, oh, this Motion sensor faucet is not just for someone that maybe, or maybe they have poor dexterity or whatever to turn on the faucet, but at the same time, it's for anyone that doesn't want to waste any water, or they just, you know, maybe their kids just want to wash their hands real quick, or their hands are dirty and they don't want to touch the faucet, so it reduces the transmission of germs. But yeah, there's there's multitude of benefits for all of these different smart home systems, and it's not just for accessibility, but it's for everybody
2: something else that, that, you know, kind of plays into the, the same category, if you will, is indoor air quality and yes. the importance of it. And yes. that's one of the things that we have been focusing on for mm-hmm. a long time is the really clean indoor air quality. And I know there's a lot of advancements with your heating and cooling your furnaces as far as infrared lighting and, and killing germs and and yep. all sorts of things.
0: Yes. And I usually advise people to budget, like think about prioritizing your budget. So what's really important to you? What are your goals when you're you're building your Mm -hmm. home so those are the things because they may not have the funds to do everything that they want to do but what's most important to them so for instance someone maybe what's most important for them is to be more independent in the bathroom and so maybe we spend more money on a little bit of technology for them in that bathroom so that they can take a shower on their own or they can use the toilet on their own so those are a lot of things that I usually advise people to think about is prioritizing what their needs are so that they can budget better.
4: Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home.
2: You know, something else that has changed post-pandemic is multi-generational living. And Jim, this is something that I want you to address for us, if you will, because as the architect, it starts with the design. Are you seeing more and more families coming together and wanting to build a home where you have, you know, multi-generational families?
5: Absolutely. When when we're designing a home and and we find somebody that wants to age gracefully in that home, we're usually dealing with a master suite that's on the first floor, but in addition to that, we often have an extra bedroom that's on the first floor, and and in many cases, an extra suite, which offers up a great deal of flexibility, both for younger children and the mom and dad if they wanted to come and stay a guest, And, and if there was ever a time that The homeowners did need the extra room on the first floor. They've got it there. So that extra bedroom on on the first floor is becoming more and more common. We're actually frequently seeing some of our past clients come back and ask for an addition to their home that would include virtually a, a small home design adjacent, in some cases attached and in some cases semi-detached, privacy remains important there. But no doubt about it, the multi-generational families, there are many benefits to uh, having the larger family around, whether it's making dinner and, and helping out or just the younger folks getting to see the older folks and spend time together, I think is real important. But absolutely, it happens on over half of our jobs these days.
2: Tiffany, from your perspective, what are some of the important things to keep in mind if you start thinking about multi-generational living and, and either building a home or possibly renovating and remodeling?
0: For kitchen designs, we think about, you know, the various heights so. If someone's seated and they wanted to prep their food and they get tired real easily while they're standing, say grandma is living with the family and she wants to sit down and prep their meals, so we want to make sure we have various height countertops to accommodate that, but you also want to make sure your outlets are accessible within reach while you're seated for anyone that's seated. And if you have kids, they're growing, you want them to join you at the countertop to prep meals and that sort of thing. Or if you have lower countertops, There's some designs that I'm seeing where they're making the island where they're lower on one side where they can use as a table, but then also the island on the other side is standard 36-inch height, and that's kind of an example of how you can make the various different height uh, countertop. But also even in the the showers, you know, you want to have, I usually always recommend having a removable shower head on a glide bar. That way someone seated, they can access the shower while it's lowered. And if you have children, you can have the shower head lowered, but then when they're growing, you can, you know, glide the shower head up. Also for someone standing, that's easily within reach too. But it also makes it easier to clean the showers when you have a removable shower head. (laughs) So I always think about maintenance as well when it comes to multi-generational, like how easy is it to keep the house clean, and that sort of thing.
2: So obviously there is a lot to think about when considering multi-generational or universal design. What do you tell someone if they're out there thinking about building? Give them some advice as far as how to find the right builder or how to find the right designer to help them.
0: I definitely recommend interviewing. You want to make for sure your builders and your designers are on the same page as you. So if you're wanting to make your home energy efficient or you want to use certain universal design features or anything like that, you want to work with the experts that are that know what they're doing with those products. So someone that knows about the product and knows how to install them, that's really important.
2: And I know, Jim, you and your team know how to design. So from your perspective, if they take Tiffany's advice, they find the right builder, the right architect, the right designer, how do they come prepared to the first meeting so you can understand what their goals are?
5: Well, I'll often have them prepare like a wish list of what they're looking for and And we start out fairly diagrammatic, but as Tiffany was saying, a lot of this design work comes down to priorities, and and I do ask them to have a good feel for what's most important and and what's less important as we work through the criteria and bring all that together.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Palo Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella integrated roll screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley.
2: Tiffany, you mentioned interviewing to find the, the right partners, which I think is always a good idea, whether you're planning to build a custom home or remodel a home, and same thing with architects, same thing with designers. But I understand the criteria has gotten a little bit tougher here in the state of Missouri. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's and it's not even enforced. It's not like it's just more of a requirement or okay. kind of a standard. So they're trying to create standards across the state of Missouri so that everyone is on the same page with universal designs and the language is consistent. And some of the criteria is just basic things like 36-inch doorways, interior doorways, and exterior doorways. At least one zero-step entrance into the home. So what Jim was mentioning about maybe the slope in the garage to get inside the home, at least one zero entrance. Some people actually put the zero entrance in the front. They actually blend it in with the landscape. I don't know if you guys have seen that before, but it's beautifully Mm -hmm. done. It just blends in with the grading. And basically, it slopes up to the front door so it doesn't look like a ramp or it makes it look like a home that's vulnerable. So, those are some of the simple things that they included in their criteria. Also, that were how to place the light switches. The light switches no more than 48 inches high, and the outlet may be up 18 inches from the floor. So, it's just some of those basic guidelines, even door levers for all the doors so that you can easily access the home. The big thing I always talk about is if you walk in with your groceries, your hand full, you've got kids in your hand, or, you know, if you have an absent hand or an maybe have an amputee or have a below-elbow amputee. And you can use your forearm and your any part of your arm to open the door. I mean, I've even used my foot sometimes just to open <laughs> the door. It's so much easier with the door lever. So those are some of the basic criteria that they list on there. It's called Exhibit D from the Missouri Housing and Development. They also have a three-page criteria that the Governor's Council on Disability established in 2015, So that is another one that people can use for new construction.
2: So we also build in northern Utah. This podcast is heard coast to coast. Do you know of some other states that are taking the same proactive approach?
0: Some people have, so there are some ordinances across the country, maybe about 50 counties, I believe, that have done this, where they're establishing ordinances for universal design. Now, some of them are visitable. I don't know if you guys have heard of the term visitable, but it falls under universal design. Basically, it's a shortened version is what I think of it. What we in St. Louis like to do is really push for the full universal design, so hit all the principles. because because visitable really is only for temporary living and it's only for people visiting your home, which is great. But if you can, it would be better to hit all the principles for your home rather than some of them.
2: Jim, do you have any final thoughts on universal design or multi-generational living that you want to share with us?
5: Well, I've just always felt it's very important when the client comes in with various needs that you be a real good listener and go beyond what's in the textbooks and ask physically, are you able to scoot up alongside the, the fixture that you're trying to use and, and how specifically do you use it? You know, there are various, various degrees of disabilities. My suggestion and, and practice has been more along the lines of just really pay attention and specific to that person's lifestyle and operation. Tiffany, any
2: final thoughts?
0: Yeah, I actually want to add to what he was just saying. I think he set it up perfectly because that's why an occupational therapist is very important to have at the table. So we actually go in and we work with them one-on-one and we look at how they use their space so that we can help them design it better to suit their needs and that sort of thing and even take measurements. So sometimes the measurements really help as well because the equipment change over time. So the standard measurements aren't always the best measurements to go by. And that is like ADA. ADA has standard measurements measurements. But really, universal design is designing beyond ADA. So we want to think about everyone and not just design inside that box. We want to think outside the box, think forward, think ahead, and plan for the future because that's where we're heading. By 2035, we're going to have more people over the age of 65 than they're going to be 18 and under. So we need to set up a successful future for people that are looking for homes and provide equal opportunities for them to find these homes. Because right now, there's no equal opportunity for them to find a home on the market. In fact, only 0.15% of the homes in the U.S. are wheelchair accessible. That's not 15%. It's (laughs) 0.15%. And it's just astounding. So that's the reason why I'm like, this is not acceptable. We really have to do something. And I think um, it's gonna take a village to make this happen.
2: Quite frankly, that's why we wanted to include this in our podcast series. We realize the importance of, you know, universal design and multi-generational living. We think that that there is absolutely more and more of a demand for it. The more builders that talk about it, the more architects that talk about it the more therapists and designers that talk about it, I think it becomes more mainstream. And I think we can take that 0.15 number and maybe we slowly start to change it to 15% and then 25%. But regardless, thinking ahead, you have to plan ahead because so many of our clients are coming to us and saying, we want this To be our forever home and jim you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast you just never know what you will need down the line so why not plan for it and then if you do have to sell the house you're prepared you can market the home as being universally designed and ready for someone else to move into it
4: thank you for building us a home not a house
3: a home our forever home and to Everyone that put in any blood, sweat, tears, work, I mean, everyone involved in any kind of way, we can't say thank you enough to all of them. There's no words that we can say that makes up for what we've received, you know, from all these great, great people in the community.
2: Tiffany, Jim, thank you guys. Very interesting conversation. And I can't thank you enough for joining us.
0: Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you. We hope you learned a lot from this episode and information from Tiffany and Jim. Certainly a pleasure having them join us today. And we always love sharing the story about Heath, and Savannah and their wonderful boys. If you'd like to learn more about universal and adaptive design, you can visit our show notes section where we're going to have a downloadable Aging in Place guide. And we're also going to have some important links for you and other resources as well. And we remind you, you can follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or reach out to us on our website, www.hibshomesusa.com or connect with us on social media to ask questions and of course, learn more. Next week, can you believe it? Our final episode, final episode of the season. And we wanted to plan something a little bit different and a little bit special. So tune in to hear from some past clients who are going to tell their stories about the home building journey. We certainly hope you'll join us then.
1: For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound with original music by Adam frick Verdine. Thanks for listening.